Al Jazeera podcast. Has Israel breached the laws of war in Gaza? The killing of civilians and collective punishment raises concerns as its military bombs the Strip. So who will hold Israel to account? I'm James Bayes, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests. In London, we have Jeffrey Robertson, founder of Doughty Street Chambers and former president of the War Crimes Court in Sierra Leone. Jeffrey was appointed by the UN as Distinguished Jurist Member on its Justice Council. In Haifa, we have Sosan Zahir, human rights lawyer and legal advisor for the Civil Society Coalition for Emergency in Arab Society. And in New York, we have Mark Galasco. He's military advisor at the Dutch NGO Pax for Peace. Mark was in Gaza during the Operation Cast Lead, that was the Israeli war in 2009, to investigate the conduct of war. He also instructs war crimes investigators at the Institute of International Criminal Investigations. Thank you, all of you, for joining us. I want to start with you, Geoffrey, because the rules of law, we hear all these terms, IHL, International Humanitarian Law, LOAC, Law of Armed Conflict. There's a Latin phrase just in bellow, and there's a thing that everyone, I think, has heard of, but no-one really quite understands all the details, the Geneva Conventions. I'm going to ask you, Geoffrey, to start our conversation off. Give us the 90-second version. What are the rules of, of war? <laughs> the rules of law <laughs> are not rules of war. The rules of war have been with us for hundreds of years. Don't kill civilians. Don't kill... Uh, don't rush to trial or execute enemies without fair trial. Uh, or don't kill a prisoner who surrenders. They've been rules of law for centuries. In 1999, in what is called the Rome Statute, the rules of law were put in fairly straightforward English. They banned the taking of hostages. They banned the use of starvation as a tactic, which seems to be going on now in Gaza. They protected it all times civilians unless they got messed up in the war. So they are the rules of war, fairly clear. But Jeffrey, Jeffrey just, just to be clear, are these binding on every country and every armed group? They are binding on countries that signed up to the International Criminal Court, and that's 123 countries. But they are not binding on Russia, which commits war crimes every few hours in Ukraine. Uh, they are not binding on America, which refuses to sign uh, in the fear that one day an American soldier may be prosecuted in The Hague. And they are not binding on Israel, which, of course, refuses to sign. So they have... Uh, a defect in that although we can say uh, that Israel, for example, or Russia is committing, uh, clearly committing a war crime, and Mr. Putin is committing one clearly of aggression by invading Ukraine, uh, the problem of taking anyone to court 
and punishing them for that criminality and indeed that barbaric criminality when it comes to bombing civilians uh, is limited. And only if Mr. Putin or some uh, Air Force commander who's bombed a, a civilian residence is captured in Sweden or in Europe somewhere, is there any prospect of putting them on trial? So you can say that war crimes have a catch-as-catch-can quality about them. Only if you catch a war criminal outside his country that will protect him uh, can uh, war crimes be punished. So, San, if I can come to you as we move to the specific region of the world we're talking about, Israel and Palestine, this very, very long conflict. There's an important thing, I think, before we talk about the details. We've heard the background from Jeffrey on, on the rules of war, but Israel is seen legally as the occupying power. What does that mean? Uh, this means that since 1967, Israel is uh, uh, abided by uh, several obligations based on international uh, law and the law of occupation, which uh, one of the most important and basic uh, 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 regulation of them is basically to protect the civilians and to make distinction between civilians and uh, combatants. Now, uh, in 2005, we all know that Israel disengaged uh, from the uh, Gaza Strip, but it still uh, uh, had an obligations uh, based on IHL because of the fact that it uh, imposed uh, severe blockade since uh, a few months after Castled in 2007 and until today. So Israel has obligations. Israel is uh, obligated to, uh, uh, to protect civilians uh, it is obligated to uh, not to attack uh, and not to uh, violate all the articles that is that are included and anchored uh, not only in the Rome Statute but also in the uh, Geneva Conventions and in the Hague Regulation, which put the uh, basically the obligation on Israel. Uh, uh, not only to uh, not hurt uh, civilians, but also uh, not to uh, uh, attack uh, infrastructures that give services for civilians, such as electricity, water, fuel. And when you look at the history from, especially from the, uh, since the uh, blockade was imposed until, uh, 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 until now, basically, uh, we see that Israel has controlled uh, uh, all these basic services and on a, on a very humanitarian, minimum humanitarian level. And even the Israeli Supreme Court in petitions uh, that uh, reached the Israeli Supreme Court to supply uh, more uh, electricity, more fuel to enable the freedom of movement in and out from uh, Gaza, even to the West Bank, and not only in and out of Gaza uh, uh, abroad. We saw that the intervention by the Supreme Court was very, very limited, which also itself said that despite the disengagement, Israel still have some minimum obligations based on IHL. Which okay, let me bring in let me bring in Mark now, if, if you if you if you may, um, Mark. Uh, you have a different perspective on this. You were in 2009, you were in Gaza. You were a war crimes investigator. You're a former military officer. Before we talk about the specifics of what's happened in the last 10 days, how 
easy or difficult is your work from afar? I would assume that the fact we now have social media, we have so much more video and photo evidence, that helps you a great deal. Well, first, let me just open by saying that we at Pax for Peace are concerned with the civilian populations of both Israel and Gaza, whether those are Israelis that are currently in Gaza as captives, or if they're Palestinians or Israelis that are currently under fire on either side of the border. Indeed, social media has now become a part of the conflict and conflicts, as we've seen, not only in, uh, in the Israel-Gaza situation, but also looking at things such as Ukraine. Uh, it, one would think, uh, would, assist in, would assist war crimes investigators, but in fact, the preponderance of disinformation makes it very difficult. You know, I look to Bellingcat, for example, which is an open source investigating organization in the United Kingdom, and also Air Wars, which is uh, another NGO there uh, that does open source investigations to try to determine whether or not civilians have been killed in conflicts. And their work has been greatly complicated by this preponderance of misinformation and disinformation. But let's make it very clear that both Hamas and Israel have positive obligations under international law, the Geneva Conventions, to protect civilians, whether they are in airstrikes in the way that the airstrikes are planned and conducted, or if they are uh, allowing Palestinians to flee, uh, to protect the Palestinians on the ground within Gaza. These are obligations under international law, and all parties are responsible for that. Jeffrey, let me take you now to the specific events of the last 10 days, and first to October the 7th. A carefully planned, audacious attack by Hamas killed over 1,400 Israelis. About 120 captives have been taken to Gaza. Are these war crimes? Yes. Clearly, they are, <laughs> they are obscene uh, examples of war crimes of killing civilians and capturing them and holding them as hostage. Uh, this is an ongoing war crime, and it gives Israel a right of self-defense to pursue them, to capture them, to put them on trial. Uh, but there are limits, obviously, to that right. And the time of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that you find in the Bible is long gone. That seems to be, in part, the Israeli reaction, and it's a wrong, unethical reaction by so Jeffrey. When you when you when you when you hear this complete siege blocking um, all the electricity and water, although they're allowing a little bit of water yes, now back yes. to south of Gaza, fuel, fuel, food, medicine. Do you see that as collective punishment? And is collective punishment in itself yes. is that a war crime? It is a war crime. I could give you the... <laughs> there is a section of the Rome Statute which precisely defines uh, what are attempts at starvation <laughs> at the end of the day uh, is the war crime and the cutting off of crucial civilian supplies to keep civilians alive is a war crime. The transporting of civilians outside the country is also a war crime, a little noticed, but it's there. And uh, it covers the American-supported attempt to put the, the a million or so Gazans, uh, throw them out of the country by uh, the small uh, aperture in Egypt. 
they, that amounts to transporting a civilian population outside the state. So, uh, yes, there are a number of crimes that are in prospect, although it may be that uh, America, Mr. Blinken, and Egypt and others are attempting to uh, persuade the Israelis not to pursue it. So we haven't got to the stage uh, yet, but we may in the next couple of days of criminal behavior by way of starving uh, the population or uh, extirpating the population out of their territory and into the deserts of Egypt, which seems to be one of the plans. Mark, um, you are clearly watching what is going on in terms of the military um, efforts by Israel. You were there in 2009. This, though, is the deadliest Gaza war so far. In fact, 6,000 bombs in six days. That's the last time the Israeli military published a statistic. That's more than the number used by the US in its entire battle in, uh, against ISIL in Raqqa in Syria. It's more used in six days than the US used in Afghanistan in a single year. Now, does that give you the view that this is probably a war crime, that they are, that they are just raining bombs on the civilian population? Well, look, the uh, obligation to protect civilians in conflict is a clear one. And uh, the, really the mark of a professional military is its ability to protect civilians while it is conducting offensive operations. And if the Israeli Defense Forces believe that uh, the laws of armed conflict, that international humanitarian law, is holding them back from their offensive operations, then perhaps it shows that they do not uh, concern themselves as much with the protection of civilians and uh, the stopping of civilian harm than they should. Look, I, I worked in the Pentagon during uh, the Iraq war in 2003 and participated in many, many dozens, if not hundreds of airstrikes. And you have to understand the amount of work that goes into that, into planning, identifying, and validating your target. You, once you have the target identified, you also have to conduct a legal analysis. The lawyers have to look at each individual target and determine whether you can uh, strike it with distinction, meaning that you're going to hit a military object and not a civilian object, and also proportionally, right? So that the damage done, whatever that damage may be, is not so widespread that the civilian harm outweighs whatever military gain that you're going to get. Additionally, Militaries also conduct what's called a collateral damage estimation, in which they try to ascertain how many civilians are going to be killed in each strike. They do this beforehand. This is a macabre calculus that is all put together prior to each individual strike. Now, when we look at the pace of operations in Gaza, 6,000 airstrikes in six days, that's 1,000 a day, that is an incredibly high number of strikes for such a tiny area. In, in fact, it's it's some, you know, somewhat akin to what the US military was doing in Iraq for the entire country during the Iraq war in 2003. Now we're talking about a small postage stamp. So it does raise the question and concerns of whether or not the Israeli military is taking all feasible precautions to protect civilians in these airstrikes. And the airstrikes have continued, Sausan. And as Jeffrey mentioned earlier on, during this, they've asked the population of the biggest urban conurbation within Gaza, although it is a 
hugely densely populated all, all of the Strip, but the Gaza City and the North, 1.1 million people initially in just 24 hours to move. I mean, is this a war crime? I think that based on the uh, international uh, and the IHL norms, uh, it clearly uh, is amounted as a war crime because the most two important things, I think, this time uh, with Israel's war on, on Gaza, uh, rather than when we were examining it in, uh, in the war during August 2014, are two most important things. First of all, the intent and the uh, willingness of uh, Israel and what its intent is in terms of the intention of what to destroy, how to destroy, what kind of uh, uh, commands to give to civilians in Gaza, where to move, and also the results, the massiveness of the killing of innocent people. Like, just take the number, uh, not just about the 6,000 missile. We are talking about uh, eight days or nine days uh, since October uh, 7, with at least 2,700 uh, being killed in Gaza, while more than 1,000 people who were women and children. And we saw the attack on civilians when they were told to evacuate uh, a south, a southbound. So, and when we see that there are at least 55 families that were killed in total, all the family members. So the massiveness and the intent. And when we learn about, when, when we read and hear the intentions of uh, Israeli officials, of the Minister of Defense on how they are dealing. These, all of these are indicators in examining uh, uh, the, the components of a, a war crime or even uh, genocide, because uh, these uh, articles in the Rome Statute, they are very clear, they have very clear components, uh, other than examining the collateral damage and distinct, distinction, distincting between civilians and, uh, and, and combatants. Uh, the willingness and the intent are uh, very much important to examine. And unfortunately, the responses and the statements from what we see and hear together with the result. Like even UN officials, uh, which I would like to refer to, like uh, Mrs. Francesca Albanese, who is the UN Special Rapporteur on the Occupied Territories, said that the massive killing of innocent is the thing that uh, should be examined uh, uh, here. To compare with the, with, the, with, the, with the people that were killed or with the total number so far, 2,700, while in more than one month, or it was 50 days, the attack on uh, Gaza and or operation on Gaza in August 2014, there were 2,500... Jeffrey, 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 clear. Go on. Go on, Jeffrey. The evidence uh, is clear that war crimes have been committed. We just see the statistics, the numbers we can see on television, children's bodies being brought out. There is no question that war crimes are being committed. If it's genocide, that's an open question, although there has to be genocidal intent, and that's difficult to prove. Uh, it could be that Israel will claim that it is going into Gaza to release 
those who are being held hostage or Jeffrey, to disarm. Jeffrey, Jeffrey on, on, on this evacuation defenses. order, if, you, if, if I may, just mm. to be clear in international law, because I think this is important if the Israeli military is about to intervene, yes. the sick, the elderly, the children, those that can't move, Israel will say they gave warning. But it does it under international oh, law, yeah. does Israel yeah. still have an obligation to protect those people? It's not a defence in international law to give warning. What you are doing is transporting or ordering uh, by way of backing up your order with guns, rockets and aeroplanes. You are forcing a civilian population out of the country. You are forcing them, first of all, south and then through a bolt hole that may be a humanitarian corridor if Mr. Blinken succeeds or may not, <laughs> may be closed, so there's no way. But the force is to leave your country and camp in the desert as refugees. And that certainly uh, is a war crime, and many children, many people who've got no connection with Hamas. So although Israel has a right of self-defense, that is not uh, a right, a, a license to kill or do anything other than conduct yourself with due regard to humanitarian principles. And Mark, it is Mark, if I could bring Mark crime. in now as a war crimes investigator, when you hear 24 health facilities, including six hospitals damaged, at least 23 ambulances targeted, UN sites, 23 sites of UNRWA, the, the UN agency that deals with the Palestinians, damaged by airstrikes. Are those things you'd be investigating as well? Well, absolutely. You know, all of these issues I'd be investigating. To, to, to speak to the law on uh, the displacement of the population and, and giving effective warning, Article 57 of, uh, of, of AP1, Additional Protocol 1 of 1977, is fairly clear. It says to militaries that you should give you should give warning if at all possible. Uh, the Israelis have given warning. They've in fact given some fairly specific uh, warnings to the population. The question is, are those realistic? Uh, can the population take them? But but more importantly, even if Israel does provide warning, it does not then make it a free fire zone. Right? They still have to take all the precautions that they would be taking even had they not provided that warning. So it OK, let me bring in Sosan, because we're coming want. to the end of our, our discussion, and I do want to talk about accountability, because we've had already four previous Gaza wars, 2008, 2009, 2012, 2014, 2021. There were allegations in, of war crimes in all of them, and no-one ever went to court, did they? Yeah, that's well, correct. Uh, and, you know, no, I, no, I, no I'm, I'm, sorry, Mark, this is for Sosan. Uh, this is for Sosan. Sosan, go ahead, please. Sorry. Yeah, well, well, we we human rights organizations have uh, since uh, 2000 and since Castlet calling for investigating uh, war crimes, and we know all what happened with the uh, commission of inquiry led back then by Mr. Goldstone. Goldstone, uh, and uh, but on the other hand, we know that uh, Palestine 
uh, signed the uh, Rome Statute and gave the uh, entitlement to investigate only after uh, June 20 or sorry July 2014. So even if we want to call for investigating war crimes, it should be by the ICC uh, investigated only of acts that have been conducted from that uh, date. And I think that the development of the uh, uh, recent uh, recent from a year and a half ago from the ICC that it does have jurisdiction to investigate war crimes in all Palestinian territory, occupied Palestinian territory, including uh, the uh, including East Jerusalem, then uh, yes, there should be a very clear call to investigate these uh, crimes. I think that with what we are seeing uh, today, uh, time has come to act on opening, on get having a decision and uh, opening war crimes of the killing of innocents and uh, especially women and uh, children. Sausan, thank you very much. Thank you very much to all of our panel uh, today. Jeffrey Robinson, Sausan Zahir and Mark Galasco. This episode was produced by Mohammed Al-Aishi, Abdurrahman Shalik, Fungi Nguyen and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Hasib Hashmi. The programme was edited by Alexander Kohler, Zainab Bada, and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Tuesday for our next episode. Coming up on The Take, Gaza's doctors say what they're facing is worse than anything they've seen in 16 years of war and siege. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.